you ever heard someone when they're asked a, a real obvious question respond in a, a sort of a funny way? For instance, someone says, do you like donuts? What? What kind of a question is that? Do you like donuts? And so someone answers back, well, does a cat have whiskers? In other words, they ask another obvious question in response. Obviously, I like donuts. Cat, I, like cats have whiskers, I like donuts. That, that, that's the way that goes. Uh, another one that I've heard used, which I think is sort of funny, but maybe you won't agree, is someone answers back, do you like donuts? And somebody answers back, is the Pope a Catholic? Well, obviously he is, right? Obviously he is. And that, that's the gist of those kinds of remarks that are sometimes made. Well, you might have that same sort of reaction to a question that I want to ask you now about the Bible. And the question is this, does Mark 16:16 16, 16 belong in the Bible? And I'm, I'm thinking that you might respond by saying, well, does the cat have whiskers, or is the Pope a Catholic, or something of that way, because it, it seems so obvious to Obviously, it belongs in the Scripture. Uh, that, that's our reaction. But you should know, and probably do, that the last verses of Mark chapter 16, actually the verses that Damon read for us a few moments ago, Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, are challenged sometimes by people. And so we want to talk about that in our study tonight. We'll try to keep our remarks brief. Uh, it, it can become a very technical discussion if, uh, if you're not careful. We don't want to do that, We're not even capable of doing that. But we do want to try to have a, a ready answer to the challenges that are sometimes posed, not just on Mark 16, 16, but really those last 12 verses of the, of the last chapter of Mark. And we'll, we'll talk about that. We stop here for just a minute to thank you, as, as Lee already did. We're glad that you're here. We appreciate you for being present on this Sunday night for our visitors. Welcome. Come again. Ask questions. If we can be of help at all in any way, especially with Bible study materials or in other ways, let us know. We'd be glad to help you. What about Mark 16, 16, and really... The last 12 verses, starting at verse 9, Mark 16, verse 9 and following. What do you think? Do they belong in our Bibles? Well, some modern translations omit Mark 16, verses 9 through 20 altogether. I mean, they, they completely leave them out. I don't know if you're aware of that or if you may have come across a translation like that. There are some who leave those verses out altogether. More commonly, a lot of versions will include the verses... But they'll make some kind of a disclaimer, a footnote, a, a marginal reading that says that, that these verses uh, uh, may not have been in the original. For instance, here's the way the New, Inter New International Version, that it, it notes this leading into these verses. Mark 16, 9 through 20, the New International Version says, The most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, verses 9 through That's what they say. And I don't actually think that that's accurate. And I don't think that those uh, who, who mark the text that way and try to highlight it as though it's questionable in origin are right. We believe that this important passage belongs in our New Testament. And we want to explain to you some of the reasons why we do think it's legitimate. Now, again, this can become a very technical study. And I'm not capable of that technical study. Uh, and we really don't, we're not even interested in going into that depth. Whole books have been written about those 12 verses of Mark chapter 16. 
very scholarly papers are available. If you do a search on the internet, you can find very scholarly uh, discourses uh, about those verses. Uh, but we need to have a ready answer. And if you don't get anything else out of what we say tonight, uh, the takeaway is we believe that there's strong basis for including those verses in our New Testament. And that's what you should know. Know that they've been challenged, but know that there is reason to believe that they belong there, okay? All right, so what can we say about these verses? Again, it's, it's the 16th chapter of Mark. It starts at verse 9. It goes to the end of the book at verse 20. What do we know about them? How would we argue that they do belong in our New Testament? Well, first of all, the vast majority of ancient manuscripts, uh, and in particular those manuscripts that include the Gospel of Mark, the vast majority of those manuscripts include these last 12 verses. We've mentioned it many times before when we've talked along these lines. There are over 5,000 manuscripts uh, or partial copies of the New Testament available. A manuscript is a handwritten copy of the original text. They are, we don't have any of the original text. Sometimes those are referred to as the original autographs. We don't have any of the original, in other words, we don't have the Gospel of Mark written in the hand of Mark. We don't have the epistles of Paul written in Paul's hand. We don't have Peter's work with, in his particular handwriting. We've got copies. Obviously, they didn't have copying machines or printing presses. Therefore, any copy that we had is a handwritten copy of the original. That's the way it was back then. All, all documents, all books, anything written, if, it, if a copy was to be made, it would have to be a handwritten copy. And that was true of the New Testament. But we have so many manuscripts of the New Testament, it's incredible. There are over 5,000. And by all accounts, and nobody can even challenge this statement, there is no ancient document more thoroughly authenticated by manuscript copies than our New Testament. I mean, it's not even close. There's not a, there's, I, I'm, I'm talking by a fact, in, in factors of hundreds, we, hundreds of times more manuscript evidence for the authenticity of the New Testament than for any other ancient writing that's out there. It's just overwhelming. And anybody who would try to suggest that we don't have a basis for believing the accuracy of our New Testament just simply hasn't studied the matter. There's just all kinds of authenticity. Uh, and as we said, one of the ways you make a determination as to whether something belongs in a text or not is the preponderance of evidence. And the preponderance of evidence in regards to these verses of Mark 16 that are in question, the preponderance of evidence is they belong there because they are in the vast majority of manuscripts uh, that include the Gospel of Mark. In fact, there are 620, uh, of, of those 5,000 manuscripts that we were talking about here, there are specifically 620 manuscripts that include the Gospel of Mark. Of those 620, only two of them omit the verses in question. Now, the verses in question are Mark 16, 9 through 20. We've got 620 manuscripts. Only two of them omit those verses. Now, that seems, that seems rather overwhelming if you stop to think about that. The vast majority of the manuscripts have that, have those verses in them. It, it, it would, uh, Again, I think that just seems pretty conclusive. We just stopped our discussion right there. That seems pretty conclusive. Think of it this way. 
What if one of you ladies cooked up a dish and shared it with others and everybody just was crazy about it? I mean, this is like the most delicious thing that, that, that we have ever tasted. You've got to give me uh, that recipe. And so the lady who had the original recipe, she sits down and she writes out, hand writes out, ten copies. She, she doesn't have a printer, she can't get to a copy machine. Just easier to hand write. So she writes ten handwritten copies of this recipe and passes them out. Well, the, the, the ten ladies who received the copies of that recipe begin to compare notes. And on one of the, they're all the same except on one of them, milk is omitted as one of the ingredients. All the other nine have milk as one of the ingredients, but this tenth one doesn't have milk as one of the specified ingredients of that recipe. Now let me ask you a question. Given that scenario, what do you think? Do you think that that recipe probably calls for milk? <laughs> yeah. Nine out of ten, I mean, it seems so obvious. Nine out of the ten say add milk to this recipe. One doesn't. You, that one, you'd say, is an outlier. That one probably is not accurate. The nine would certainly carry the preponderance of the evidence, right? Well, in regards to the verses that are in question here, there are 620 manuscripts that include the Gospel of Mark, and only two of them omit these verses. As I say, if we wanted to just stop right there, you would have to argue that the vast preponderance of evidence is in support of including these verses. But, here's the problem. There are what some people refer to as the big three of ancient manuscript compilations. Uh, and they are Codus Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus, Sinaiticus, and Codex, Codex Alexandrinus. And uh, these are famous. They may not be, these names may not be famous. Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, Alexandrinus. If you were in that field of textual criticism and someone mentioned those names, you'd by all means recognize those as very significant, well-known, and highly regarded compilations of, of ancient manuscripts, okay? Now, in regards to those, the Alexandrinus Codex includes the text we're studying tonight, Mark 16, 9 through 20. But the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus do not. They omit it. And so therein lies the problem. It, We've got a whole lot of manuscripts that include it, but two manuscripts omit it, but the two manuscripts that omit it are considered to be really high quality, uh, uh, highly regarded, of high standard. And so that poses the problem. Now, again, as I said, whole books have been written about this and what might have happened and why those compilations of manuscripts omit it. But it's kind of interesting. This Vaticanus Codex leaves a space for those final verses. It's, it's almost like the scribe was going to come back to his work and didn't because there's clearly a space left there that would have provided for the copying of those verses. But they're not there. They're admittedly not there. But those who have investigated the manuscripts say... It looks like the scribe may well have intended to put it there and just didn't get back to his work and didn't finish that segment. 
And then the Sinaiticus, it ends at the bottom of the page. The text just abruptly ends at the bottom of the page. And there's not, the next page, it looks like maybe a final page could have been lost, torn off or left behind, lost somehow or another. And so, of these supposed big three manuscripts, to omit them, but even the two who, that omit them look like maybe they, they could have been there. There may be some explanation as to why they are not there. We don't know. That's uh, obviously a good bit speculative. But, but we need to understand that it's not unusual for passages to be missing from various manuscripts. Remember back up here, our first point, we've got 5,000 manuscripts of various segments of the New Testament. Of those 5,000, 620 include the Gospel of Mark. So over 4,000 of the manuscripts we have in the New Testament don't include Mark. Does Mark belong there? Well, yeah, because all the, manu- all the compilations of manuscripts have various segments that are missing from this section, missing from that, but we put them all together to get a compilation of what we believe the correct, accurate, original text was. Both the, uh, I see a misspelling there, both Vaticanus and Sinaiticus leave out other passages that are accepted without even reservation. Uh, other, other segments are left out, and there's no footnote uh, when, when the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus leave them out. For instance, the, the Vaticanus Codex leaves out the whole book of Hebrews. Did you know that? And so some people are up in arms because that particular compilation of manuscripts leaves out Mark 16, 9 through 20. And they, they think we've got to footnote that. We've got to make a marginal note. We've got to make a headline here. These verses probably don't belong there. Well, what about the book? That same codex leaves out the whole book of Hebrews. Well, does Hebrews not belong in our Bible? Well, it obviously belongs in our Bible. And, and so, again, it's not unusual for passages to be missing from various manuscripts. Uh, and even those two very famous ones leave out various passages uh, that are included in our Bible. Because Why? Because other manuscripts provide them. The preponderance of evidence suggests they belong there. We're arguing that's the same conclusion that we ought to make about these verses in Mark 16. Why do you think there is this scrutiny, though? Uh, if, if there are so many that include it to omit them, and admittedly they're two good compilations, manuscript compilations, the Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, they're good, they're highly regarded. <coughs> they omit them, but those same ones omit other. Why do you think there's this scrutiny about Mark 16, verses 9 through 20? Could it be because, could it be because of verse 16? Because Mark 16, verse 16, so clearly teaches the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins, doesn't it? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That is just so clear on the necessity of baptism. Could it be, and I'm just asking the question, I don't have the answer. Could it be that the reason why those verses are challenged is because they provide such a powerful argument in favor of baptism for the remission of sins? I think that's, I think that's a possibility. I think that's a possibility. So, do those verses belong in our New Testament? Well, yes, I think there's a a preponderance of manuscript evidence. Be aware that there's a couple of 
very famous manuscript compilations that leave it out. But even at that, I still don't think that weighs against our conclusion to include them. Here's, a, here's another argument that I think is interesting. If you leave out Mark 16, 9 through 20, then you've got the Gospel of Mark ending with the disciples in great fear and nobody has seen the resurrected Jesus. Go, go, open your Bibles to Mark 16 for a minute and notice that. What a way to, why would Mark end his gospel like that? What would be the purpose of even writing his gospel if he's going to end it on such an uncertain note? Mark 16, begin reading verse 1 now. Damon read the last verses of the chapter. Read the first verse of the chapter. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, as he said unto you. And they went away, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Done. End of Mark. If, if we exclude those last words, that's the end of the Gospel of Mark. They've heard, they've been told that Jesus is resurrected, but they hadn't seen him. No eyewitness testimony is included there. If you leave off... Now, the next verses, beginning at verse 9 and going on, that's going to talk about eyewitnesses. Uh, verse 9, when Jesus was risen early in the, day, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Uh, and then if you look at verse 14... It, it, talks, uh, it talks about it in verse 12. He appeared to an, in another form to two of them as they walked. Verse 14, after that, he appeared unto the eleven as they... Well, the, the last verses have got eyewitnesses, right? And the last verses provide hope that... And, and, and the disciples dispersed to verse, the very last verse. They went forth and preached everywhere. So when we include the last verses, you've got... You've got the Gospel of Mark ending with eyewitness testimony, and you've got the Gospel of Mark ending with a kind of hope and determination that sends them spreading the Gospel throughout the world. Take those verses off, what do you got? If, you, if, you, if, if, the, if the text ends at verse 9, you've got them afraid, and nobody's seen Jesus. There's a rumor going around that he might be alive, but we haven't seen him, and we're afraid. What a way to end the Gospel of Mark. You see what I'm saying? If the Gospel of Mark ends at, at 16.8, you don't have much, is what we're saying. So I think that's another strong argument. Why would Mark end his Gospel that way? All right? Now, here, I think, may be the strongest argument of all, that these verses belong in our New Testament. Sometimes we talk about external proof provided by non-inspired writers of the era. So, in the, in the first century, we had men who were inspired of the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and even others. Even some of our New Testament writers weren't apostles. Mark wasn't an apostle. Luke wasn't an apostle. And so, 
we have the inspired apostles and other inspired writers who were writing in the first century. But, but when they died, we believe inspiration ended. The, the revelation of God was complete. What did they have? They had, but they had those written documents that those inspired writers had produced. What did they do? What did the non-inspired writers do? Well, they began to quote them, right? They began to do just what we do. When we're teaching on a subject, we make a point, and then we try to offer a scripture to prove that the point we're making is true to the Word of God. That's what early non-inspired, sometimes these guys, and I don't think it's a very fitting description, sometimes they're called the early church fathers. But these, but these, but these non-inspired writers of the second and third century, what did they do when they wrote about spiritual things? They quoted the New Testament, just like we do. They would do exactly like we In other words, I can't just say this and expect you to believe it, but if I say it and quote a scripture that confirms what I'm saying is true, then that works. It works now, it worked for them. Well, here's what's interesting. Early Christians quoted segments of Mark 16, 9 through 20 before the supposed manuscripts that left them out were even in existence. This Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, they were produced somewhere in the early 300s A.D. Those, those codexes date to the, the early to mid-300s A.D. I get that. We're, we're, everybody's putting all their, all their eggs in this basket. This one and this one omit the verses. But those two codexes were produced in the early to mid-300s. We've got early Christians quoting this text before those manuscripts ever came into existence. Uh, read you a few of them. Papias quoted from the text in 130 A.D. Uh, Justin Martyr quoted from Mark 16, verses 9 and following in 160 A.D. Irenaeus of Lyon quoted from there in 170. Tatian in 172. Tertullian in 220. How did those guys, how did those guys know to quote from those, from that section of scripture if that section of scripture is not legitimate? The, the argument is somebody came along later and tacked those verses on to the end of Mark 16. And the fact that, they, that, that those verses are omitted in these two codexes that date to the early to mid 300s proves that someone added them in later. If someone added them in later, how did these early Christians quote from that text in the 130s, 170s, 220? How did they quote from if, if those verses are not legit, how did they even know what they said? You see what I'm saying? I think this is a powerful argument that those verses belong in the inspired text. They belong in our New Testaments. And so we go back to the question, does Mark 16, 16, that's, I think that's the verse that's really people want to get rid of. Does Mark 16, 16, really is Mark 16, 9 through 20, does that belong in our Bible? And I think that our overwhelming answer is yes. Again, it's, it can be a real technical discussion. And whole books have been written about it, and very scholarly papers have been produced, and you can, you can research those. But I think that, that our big takeaway is those verses definitely belong in our New Testaments. Now, Let's do one other exercise. What if 
just what if you could take away Mark 16, 16? What if someone says, I don't care what you say, those verses are, are spurious additions to the text. They, they are not legit. They need to be excluded. I am not, I will not act upon the basis of Mark 16, verse 16. What if, that, what if someone said that? Well, if someone said that, the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins is clearly established, even if we didn't have Mark 16, 16. Mark 16, 16 belongs here, but if we let them take that away, we've got just a ton of other verses that teach the necessity of baptism. Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Acts 22, verse 16, now why carest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? We can, we can go to tons of other places to prove the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins. We're not going to give, we're not going to give away Mark 16.16. I, I, I really believe that our very positive answer is yes, it definitely belongs there. To me, there's just not really any serious doubt about that. But even if you let them argue against it, we can still prove the necessity of baptism without Mark 16, verse 16. All right, thanks for your good attention while we said. I hope that's just uh, some helpful information. You may be at some point or another uh, question about that, and someone may challenge it. Or you might just see that in some version of the Bible that you're reading uh, and wonder why it's there. And, and uh, maybe that's just a little simple information to answer that question. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say tonight. We're going to sing a song of invitation as we do always. We bring a lesson to a close. We want to provide the opportunity for everyone to make sure you're right with God. If you need to obey the gospel to first become a Christian, or if you need the prayers of the saints as a Christian, you need the saints to pray with you and for you about your spiritual situation. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.